welcome to the International Labour Organization's Global Business Network on Forced Labour's podcast. We are the Global Business Network bringing together businesses of all sizes and sectors and their representative organizations from around the globe to end forced labour. To build on our previous episode, where we began to explore that forced labour doesn't occur in isolation, but is linked to other abuses, crimes and challenges such as climate change, illicit trade and child labour, we're going to be talking to Corey Norton, Vice President for Supply Chain Legality at the World Wildlife Fund, which is the world's leading conservation organisation. WWF works to develop and deliver innovative solutions that protect communities, wildlife and the places in which they live. Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. From your perspective, how are forced labour and child labour linked to the environmental challenges we are facing in the world today? Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be with you. It's an important time right now for that topic as the research um, new research and new publications are really coming out uh, quite quite rapidly. So there's a, there's a lot to capture. I, I would say the, the 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 basic nature of the the two way relationship that's been identified um, is both that forced labor and child labor have a, a direct harm on the environment, and that going the other way, uh, environmental harm exacerbates the conditions that makes um, workers and children more vulnerable to um, be pulled into forced labor or child labor. And happy to uh, elaborate a little bit on that. The, the, the first about the, 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 the direction of the relationship between forced and child labor and environmental harm is that uh, I think has, has two areas of focus. Um, one is on natural resource overuse and the other is on the, the impact on climate change. So in, in, in both cases, the, the idea is that um, there are bad actors within supply chains, for example, uh, who choose to conduct their business illegally. And the you know, really abhorrent fact is that the, the abuse of work, workers and children are the means they use to um, for example, uh, overuse various resources. So overfishing is conducted through, you know, abuse of crew that do the overfishing. Um, deforestation is largely done through, as I should say, none of these is absolute, but a large influence. Um, so deforestation um, is, is largely done through uh, workers uh, who are abused and put into forced labor, um, similar with mining, and for example. So the, the basic nature there is that the means for the environmental harm is the abuse of the individual in those cases. And the, and the result is the overuse of the resource. And so really the lack of the resource availability thereafter. The, the other um, connection is to climate change itself. Um, and particularly, I think deforestation is a good example. So as, as, as a world, as we come to understand climate change and our defenses against it better, I think it's become abundantly clear that you know, robust forests are a key aspect of our defense to you know, be able to absorb um, you know, carbon, for example. And so the fewer forests we have, the fewer uh, lesser ability we have to mitigate climate change. And so the a connection here is that, you know, as um, 
workers and children, so individuals generally are abused into this kind of natural resource overuse, the outcome is actually uh, a lesser ability to defend ourselves against climate change. So, so the, the forced labor and child labor are, are contributing to uh, worse climate change in, in that regard. So, that, so that's the one direction of the relationship that you see. The, 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 the reverse direction is true as well. So um, as we see, um, you know, excessive resource uh, usage and as we see, you know, climate change effects, say, in, um, you know, uh, sea level rising or in change in um, you know, crop yields and effectiveness, um, all of these result in greater vulnerability for a lot of populations. So if you're uh, industry and your your work locally was dependent upon resources being available and they're no longer available, then the workers are more vulnerable. Um, similarly to, you know, if your communities are destroyed from uh, sea level rise, then you end up with more migration and vulnerability that follows. Um, similarly with um, decreased crop yields or effectiveness. So there's really a, a two-way relationship uh, where, where there's harm on each other in a fairly uh, vicious cycle. I, I think I'll just end on this to note that um, it's been very interesting to watch the, the literature uh, covering these relationships. Um, going back several years, I guess I'd recommend to listeners, uh, there was a book um, back in 2016, I believe it is, by uh, a fellow named Kevin Bales called uh, Blood and Earth, uh, Modern Slavery, Ecocide, and the Secret to Saving the World. And, and I, I highlight it um, uh, largely because of its content, but I think a review caught, caught the idea quite well where Scientific American was reviewing the book and essentially said that ending modern slavery is one of the best things um, and most critical things we have to do to address uh, climate change. So really quite powerful. But even more recently, um, the UN came out with a, a publication um, just or a couple months ago, a uh, short title called Developing Freedom, um, but again, concluding that, that there's a two-way relationship here and that we have to address modern slavery, you know, um, broadly construed and con including forced labor and child labor in order to uh, effectively address um, climate change and sustainability. And, and really just the, the literature keeps coming out with others like the Freedom Fund hosting an ongoing uh, series, um, new research uh, coming out of the UNDP Business and Human Rights Program or Dublin City University, and happy to happy to share links to these, but um, really, really quite a bit of attention examining uh, this area. Thank you so much, Corey. It's so important to to highlight this dual relationship, this vicious circle that we find ourselves in. Um, I'd like to zoom in a little bit. So could we focus on fishing, particularly illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing? As a sector where we see forced labor risks have been highlighted and where we see these challenges coming together, what are the, some of the problems and what has been your experience with this? Sure. Um, well, this um, fishing sector, um, like several other sectors, which you may get into um, as well, textiles, palm, renewable energy, you know, we, we see these issues across many sectors, but the um, focus on fisheries does go back uh, of several years and, and certainly before that. I'd say the, the, the type of reporting um, that has come out has, has focused, uh, I'd say, and in, in, in highlighted two main ways in which uh, forced labor and child labor 
uh, are, are, are present um, and, and examined in, in the seafood industry. So keeping in mind the seafood industry really has two main channels to it, um, you know, wild caught uh, seafood and then aquaculture seafood. There's um, today really quite a bit of attention you see through many NGO reports on the conditions for crew, um, particularly on the high seas and um, many anecdotes and concern about forced labor um, being prevalent in, in, in fleets. And then on land for aquaculture, the a lot of focus has been on, um, particularly in, um, the, say, the shrimp industry. Um, I think one may find it in other industries too, but really where you need lots of manual labor to, uh, to process the seafood, um, that has been a, a main focus uh, as well, where, where you've seen many anecdotes of, of forced labor um, in, in, the, in the aquaculture side of things. Where, so, so, so those are clearly the challenges, um, both for humanitarian and environmental purposes. Um, you know, the, the environmental connection there being on the high seas, uh, well, there are several, but overfishing, overuse of the resource, um, contribution to uh, emissions and, and, and greenhouse gases and climate change on the land. Um, some of the main uh, environmental implications deal with conversion of um, natural spaces, mangrove forests, you know, et cetera, that um, we otherwise need for the climate change kind of protection we were covering before. So, so, so those are the real substantive challenges. It's probably worth zooming in somewhat on um, what one does in this area and, and how to deal with those do, deal with those challenges and 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 what to do is itself quite a challenge. And I think what I'd focus in on is it's I really do believe that many of these um, industries and particularly the seafood, there are many actors along supply chains that really do want to do the right thing, um, even against that uh, backdrop, it's really quite challenging to, to gain visibility of a whole supply chain. Supply chains are long and complex to coordinate the interests um, and sensitivities of many in the supply chains, to find common ground on the standards to apply and how to test them and how to report out on them. Uh, these are all just real practical challenges and that's where I think majority of, of my work has come in. Um, so I'm, I'm with the World Wildlife Fund now and being within the NGO context um, uh, brings quite a bit of uh, learning and expertise among many colleagues who've been in this area and also among colleagues and other NGOs. And prior to um, WWF, I was an attorney in private practice working with companies worldwide on their, on their compliance. And so for me, sort of having one foot of expertise in supply chain and corporate compliance and one foot in NGO resources and expertise, um, a lot of my work is trying to draw upon both of those um, parts of, of my, um, my experiences to help facilitate discussions among industry on tackling these issues of traceability, standards, et cetera. And, and there, there really are quite positive um, um, efforts underway among industry, both bringing retailers and brands uh, together with the supply chain uh, for some of our higher volume commodities and bringing in the expertise of NGOs um, 
you know, we certainly wouldn't want to assert that we have found all the answers and that they're completely in effect right now. But the the challenge on these issues is how to bring together everybody's resources for real collaborative change. And uh, we're really seeing uh, very meaningful developments in that regard. So that's sort of uh, just a snapshot of where we are now. It's it's quite challenging, but but quite promising. It's great to hear that there's some light at the end of the tunnel, and particularly as we continue to see industry commitment um, to these issues grow. So looking ahead, Corey, we will need to increasingly tackle environmental issues and human rights challenges together. What are some of the solutions? I think one of the main learnings um, that I've seen come out for a while and I see continue to get um, broader attention and understanding is that there's a need to draw upon many different types of expertise. Um, so because of the two-way relationship and because of the complexity of um, the solutions, no one, I guess, community of, of, of an isolated um, set of expertise can solve this uh, alone. That, that effective solutions need to draw upon the expertise of human rights um, organizations, and, and labor organizations, as well as environmental organizations, and as well as the expertise of industry and, and the, 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 the buy-in for what's practical and what can be done. So I think you're, you're increasingly seeing that, you know, many organizations um, begin to look at this from the, uh, whatever the, whatever issue is most relevant to their expertise, say environmentalists looking at the environmental and human rights looking at the human rights pieces, but, but we're seeing that because they're all intertwined, we need to have a better understanding of how the, the diverse skill sets um, fit together all within one project. And there's um, a lot of discomfort in, in, in some ways of um, nobody wants to feel like they're, they're going outside their expertise and, and over promise. But really, I think what's what we look forward to and what's what's happening and, and where there really are real opportunities going forward is, is understanding what those different types of expertise are in the different industries and, and how they fit together and seeing where partnerships um, can can happen to bring together the different communities with of different expertise for more holistic uh, solutions. And so it's, um, you know, lots of challenge again, but it's pretty exciting to begin to see that recognition and, and to begin to see that collaboration uh, come together. Absolutely. Really effective solutions requiring collaboration. And that's something that the Global Business Network on Forced Labour um, really stands for, is trying to enhance collaboration. Corey, what is one key message you can leave us with? And where can we find out more information about the World Wildlife Fund's work? Um, sure. To, to me, I, I think the um, key message going forward uh, is organizations that have relationships outside their expertise um, serve a really key function and really have great opportunity to make change here. So whether it be um, businesses who've worked with um, human rights and environmental NGOs or NGOs in either of those areas who've worked with others, but recognizing where your relationships are outside of your expertise and how to draw on those relationships um, to bring the expertise together is really the main focus uh, for where there's lots of opportunity going forward. 
And that's a lot of where I spend a lot of my time and try to share information on it. Um, following my, my Twitter account uh, is, is often where I send a lot of information. Um, you know, at Coriel Norton, happy to share that. Um, on the WWF website, um, I th think if folks just Google WWF and illegality, um, there's quite a bit of information about resources for supply chains. And we'll be having uh, a few new publications examining these issues uh, in greater depth um, coming out within the next uh, couple of months as well. And so I'm happy I'll, I'll be sharing those through both Twitter and our website, but happy to, to share those with listeners too. Perfect. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Corey. Thank you. This is a podcast from the International Labor Organization's Global Business Network on Forced Labor. Visit our website on flbusiness.network for more information. I am the coordinator of the network, Laura Green. Thank you for joining us and look out for our next episode.